There's so much to study in Scripture, generally speaking, and specifically uh, on this, this topic of heaven. And so we're going on our sixth week talking about, about heaven. And heaven is our home. And so in six weeks, an hour and a half each week, and it occurred to me today as I was putting my notes together uh, that, you know, we're just, we've just barely scratched the surface of what God's Word teaches us about heaven. And today, uh, I'll reveal a little bit later, I learned something uh, new. In fact, I learned something that I was wrong about. Uh, and I Can just discovered that I was wrong about. But isn't that how God's word is? It's, it's alive, isn't it? And so as it is alive and as we approach our study, uh, not just our reading of Scripture, and as we open our heart and as we open our mind um, to what Scripture says as opposed to what we want it to say or what we have been told it says uh, or any, uh, any other um, mechanism uh, that has come into our life relative to Scripture, uh, God will speak to us. And he speaks to an open heart and not a closed one. I'm reminded of the Israelites, how um, their hearts are hardened, if you will. And they spent 40 years in the desert, didn't they? And, uh, boy, if we're not careful, we can spend 40 years in the desert, too, in terms of thinking a particular way about a, a topic in Scripture when Scripture doesn't teach that at all. Interesting. That happened to me today, and I'll, I'll share that in a in a bit. We're going to start working through heaven and what it's like as opposed to the theology of it. And, um, by the way, what, what is theology? When we talk about the theology of heaven, what, what does that mean? The theology of heaven. Theo, theo means God and ology knowledge. Knowledge of what God's word says about heaven. Okay? And so, as we look at that, we look at what God's word reveals to us about heaven and we are going to start taking a look. So really, the study of is going to continue. But we're going to start looking at what is heaven like? Now, we've been looking at it in a real practical way lately. In fact, last week we were taking a look at the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and or the new heaven and the new earth. And there's both a singular and a plural. And we looked at that a little bit last week. And uh, we were trying to determine how to interpret what God's word means when it says it is either a plural of the word or the singular of the word. And, and we'll, we'll review that in just a minute. Um, we also look at this new heaven and this new earth and this new city, the new Jerusalem. And did we determine last week that there's an old Jerusalem? There is a present, there is a holy city, and there is a present Jerusalem, which is located where, Olivia? And, and, and where is the Jerusalem located that uh, that John saw that was coming down? It was coming down. 
heaven. And so there's this there's this new Jerusalem, and we look at the size because the, the scriptures tell us what the size of this city is. He defines it clearly as a city. He sees that it is a city, and we're at that place in scripture in our study of heaven where we're talking about everything is being made new. Okay? So we're not in the present heaven any longer in our study. We're talking about the new heavens and the new earth that God is redeeming. And we're going to take a look first this evening at what happens to the old earth. Because it occurred to me last week that there was a comment made that the earth is going to be burned up and destroyed. And so we, let's take a look at that because uh, it's important to take a look at that. And so we're actually going to start. By the way, how big is the New Jerusalem? Huge. Huge. <laughs> <laughs> just, just really, really big. Um, and, and when we look at it in terms of... of uh, cubic miles. Uh, it's really hard to wrap my brain around something that's approximately either 14 or 1500 miles cubed. Um, it, it's just hard for me to understand that because uh, I live in the flat, you know. Uh, and yet, uh, three and a half billion cubed miles is a lot of a lot of cubed miles, you know. And so, uh, notwithstanding, the scriptures say that the city of New Jerusalem that comes out of the heavens, it comes down to the new heaven and the new earth that are merged. And last week, we were trying to wrap our brains around the fact that heaven, the future heaven, is a very physical place with very earth-like qualities. And as we continue our study, we're going to see how this new earth is heaven because they are, they are co-joined, it becomes one, and God comes to live with us. It's very much a picture of Eden. And tonight we're going to look at the question, is the new earth Eden? We're, we're going to ask that question. But before we go there, what is the fate of the old earth? The one that we're on right now. We're sitting on the planet earth created by God. And according to the scriptures, what happens to it? What does that mean? Laid bare. Clean slate. <clears throat> Burned up, clean slate, laid bare. Mm -hmm. Is anybody there when that happens? Well, they may have been. It won't be long. During the process of savages. During the process of. Annihilation in the last day of the Lord's time. Okay. Okay, there's a lot that there's a lot that's going on there during those end times, and we look at that during the end times, and yet we have to rush all the way forward because when is the new heaven and the new earth? When does it come onto the scene? After the heaven. After all that is concluded. So the old earth goes through quite a process, doesn't it? It goes through the tribulation, and it goes through the battles, not a singular battle, but there are battles of Armageddon. And we're told how horrific that is. And we're told how there is, there is annihilation on the earth. But is that the same annihilation that Scripture talks about relative to what is going to actually happen to this earth? What is God going to do to this earth? We studied in the end times... 
that the earth is going to go through a tribulation like it's hard, that's hard for us to imagine. But we won't be there. But there will be those that are. So let's turn to 2 Peter 3.10. Dwayne is so all over it. <laughs> but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Can you read all the yeah. way through 13? Yeah, sure can. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as... You look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Hmm. Now we're reading that scripture. What, what translation is that? Was that the NIV? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, that's interesting because there are different translations and the translators, um, there are many very good <coughs> translations and the translators are charged with this responsibility, aren't they? Because we use these words in the English language and then those words have great meaning to us because when we hear a word in English, it usually conveys something to us because it has a definition, doesn't it? And, and you've heard me say many times that that the English language uh, is such a conglomeration of other languages, it's not very, mm, what can I say, uh, it's not as descriptive or, or as, um, as uh, almost flowery as, as like the Greek, for example, or even the Hebrew. And so in this scripture reference in Second Peter 3, 10 through 13, for example, the NIV uses the word in verse 10 that the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. In the New King James, the word for destroyed is translated melt. Now, that's interesting. Both of those terms have something to do with what? Heat or fire. Heat or fire. But let's look real closely, shall we, at, at the, the language that is used in Second Peter. Because the question is, what happens to the old earth? I think it matters what happens to the old earth. Because we need to be informed on these things. And let's look at it from the NIV's perspective because it uses the word destroyed, which I think, be careful, I just said I think, so be careful when somebody says I think, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I think destroyed might be an unfortunate translation. Because when you think of something being destroyed, wait, it's mm -hmm. gone. Destroyed is like done over, finished, the end. How about it being sanitized? Okay. Oh, you have a footnote. So in the original, in the original um, papyrus, 
they didn't have those, so somebody came up with a footnote to help us with this translation. Well, in the part that says, and everything in it will be laid bare, mm -hmm. uh, instead of bare, it says be burned up. Yeah. Ah, and everything in it will be burned up. Well, let's take a look at that, because in, in the NIV, in verse 10, it says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Well, we know that. We're familiar with that scripture, aren't we? Because nobody knows. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, my guess is that everybody sitting in this room is ready for that day. To the extent that we are ready for that day. Because we've been informed. And we know, don't we? And yet there are a great number of people, in fact the majority of the people in this valley where we choose to live, wouldn't have a clue. They wouldn't be informed about the fact that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. There are going to be a lot of very surprised people. Yeah, because he's going to rob us from them. Huh. Right. Exactly right. And where will we be? Gone with him. Gone. We will be gone. And so, when we were studying the end times, we saw what that might look like. And that's going to be a real challenging time for those that are left behind. And yet, um, I, 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 I will never forget Kathy Pax's um, um, retort when we were talking about that. And she threw up her hands and said, how in the world would anybody not come to Christ knowing that? Isn't that, isn't that amazing? And yet, the majority won't. It's amazing, isn't it? But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now listen carefully to the words. The heavens. Anybody have a translation that says something else? The heavens. Heavens is written in each one of your translations. Imagine that. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. Now listen very carefully. And the earth, anybody's translation have a word other than earth there? No, I think they're all, it says earth, because earth still means earth. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare, as Susan said. So. Does it say done? No, I know. What does it say? Everything in all. Everything in it. Oh, and everything in it. Okay. That's your NIV? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you know why mine says done? Because on my computer, this is the this is not the 1984 oh. NIV. When they, when they gender neutralized the NIV, which drives me absolutely crazy, <laughs> um, there are other... Um, there are other changes as well. This apparently is one of them, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't catch it. Either way, the point is the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Now, since everything, verse 11, will be destroyed in this way, since the elements will melt in fervent heat, and that the works that are in it will be burned up, according to the <coughs> New King James. We're faced with a bit of a dilemma, because when we're trying to determine what's going to happen to the old earth, we're faced with, the, with dealing with, is it destroyed by definition in the English language? If you want to go to Webster's and look at what destroyed means, is it destroyed meaning burned up, gone? There's fire, isn't there? There's no question about the fact that there's fire. And if we look back at the tribulation and we see what is taking place, 
there is there is a lot of tribulation that's going on, and yet this is at the end of the end times when the new heavens and the new earth uh, are created by God, and He's dealing with the old earth. He's melting it. He's He's laying it bare. And what is smelting? It's forging it into a new and wonderful thing. Forging. That that had not occurred to me either. Forging is a good word. Smelting, you take stuff and it burns together and the bad stuff comes up to the top, the slab. Perfect. Well, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 3.12. Because I think we have a picture. And the picture in Scripture is pretty clear when God uses the fire, whether that be literally or metaphorically, what is the fire generally representative of in Scripture? Purity. Cleansing. You could call it forging if you would like to. And so we have an example here in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. One of many biblical examples of what perhaps is going on here with the earth. So, if somebody would like to read 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on a foundation survives he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as though, as, but only as through fire. Isn't that interesting? Because here, the context is different than the context of the passage that we were looking at in Second Peter that says that the heavens uh, will melt or that they will disappear and the element and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Okay? The context is a little bit different. But what are the similarities? Fire. And what in the context of the first Corinthian passage is happening? What is being burned up? Works. Works. Because it says the foundation is Jesus Christ. Right. And any man builds another foundation using gold. That's correct. And then the context here is the work that is has been done on the earth. The quality of your. And it is going to be revealed by fire. And the analogy that is used is what are the things that are being burned up? Gold, silver, costly stones on the one hand, wood, hay, and straw on the other hand. And what do the costly stones represent? Jewels in your crown. Uh, jewels in your crown. Or, I'm thinking more specifically, right now, today, as we sit here and you interpret that passage and apply it to your life, specifically today, what are the gold, silver, and costly stones that are going to be put through the fire? That what your God Okay. Us. Your talent. Us. What your gods are. What you worship idols. Worship idols. Your talents. How you use them. Not the word I'm looking for yet. Okay. 
Deeds. Thank you. Our deeds. Because what's happening here is, and it's a very similar analogy to the analogy of what is being used in terms of what's going to happen to the earth, because God is going to, by fire, refine. We sing that song in church, Refiner's Fire, and um, you probably know all the words to it. I can't recite them. Uh, but uh, in the Refiner's Fire, what is, what is happening the, the deeds that we, are, that we are doing, the things that we do to glorify God now in the flesh, no, in the spirit, now are going to be put to the fire and they are going to survive. What isn't going to survive? Hay, wood, straw, it'll get burned up pretty quick, won't it? And so the same thing happens. What happens with gold? And what happens when gold melts? The impurities rise. There is a separation of the impurities from the pure gold. And so the reader, in the, when this was written, that would have been very, very, very familiar language to them. And so if we look back, and the whole point of this is to look to see what is going to happen to the earth. Nowhere in scripture does does God's word say that the earth is going to be destroyed, annihilated, removed, obliterated, gone forever? That's why I believe, caution, 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 because I said I believe, but I believe destroyed is an unfortunate word choice here. It said the elements of the earth will be destroyed, not the ball itself. Not the earth itself, and you said it will be... and laid bare because that's the actual words that scripture uses. So now as the earth is laid bare and everything has gone through the refiner's fire on the earth because the tribulation is over, God has created a new heavens and a new earth and that means that there is an old earth and we're trying to figure out what he's going to do with the old earth. Does scripture tell us what's going to happen to the old earth? Just in these passages alone. It's not quite in these passages. It's going to be like the ultimate forest fire. It's going to take it all away and then it's going to come back and rain. And the wood and the hay and the straw of the earth will be burned up. And so will all of our deeds that didn't come from the right motivation. Isn't that interesting? Because God is going to purify us in essence through the refiner's fire. And we see this throughout Scripture. And so my point is we're going to see more on this in a little bit. But God does not throw his creation away. It's not gone. What's destroyed, well, what's destroyed? Let me turn that into a question. What is destroyed? Man's works and The worldliness of the world. What else is destroyed? Keep going. Come on, we're in heaven now. What else is destroyed from the old earth? It's been trashed off to Armageddon and everything. Sin and sin. That's the big one. That's the big one. Okay, sin. Okay, it's burned up. Because it's wood, hay, or straw. It didn't survive. 
the deeds that we do today, there are many people think that they're doing very good deeds. But what's their motivation? Oftentimes we find people that... Uh, I, I, yeah, I have a friend uh, who works for um, a very, very high net worth couple. And the, the lady was really concerned. She was feeling bad. That, uh, and she was uh, even angry. Um, and uh, she felt like she needed to do something good because she was trying to convince herself that she was a good person. And uh, it, it was really interesting. So she decided, true story, she decided to look for some place where she could put some money. She said, we've got plenty of money. So it all sounds good so far, doesn't it? And so she wanted to do something with that, with that money. So what she decided, because these are the circles that they run in, so she decided to donate a million dollars to the facilities at a polo club in Montecito. Well, they needed it. And I'm just thinking, well, generosity, isn't that, shouldn't they be grateful for that? That was quite generous, wasn't it? But then we tend to judge what's the motivation. Tax write-off. <laughs> I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to judge her hard. I'm just. I'm just saying is which category is that going to is that going to be in? And I don't want to concern ourselves with somebody else. We should be concerning ourselves with ourselves. But what is our motivation for when we do good? Well, Scripture says here, fire will test the quality of each man's work. That's it. And then what's going to happen? We looked at that in the in the uh, in the end time study. There's going to be rewards in heaven for the for those things that aren't burned up, for those things that survived the fire, for those things that were made out of precious stone, out of gold. It will be refined. The impurities will be taken out, and that there will be rewards. And those rewards are going to uh, we are going to, to find in heaven. And there will be rewards that are given, and there are going to be rewards for the things that burn up. There are going to be rewards that are actually taken away. In a sense, the Bible teaches that everybody starts with the same rewards, but you don't end up with them. You might be up there going, dusting yourself off hmm. with ashes. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> but it's not a salvation issue, though. No, it's not. You still, because it says here that even though he himself will be saved. Right. You, so suffer, it's not, you suffer the loss of the, the rewards, but you're still right. in heaven. So we have to look at the scriptures. That little exercise is nothing more than just taking a look at the scriptures for what they say. Okay? Not what we think it means or what we want it to mean. But what do the scriptures say? Can we then dogmatically come up with a conclusion relative to what the scriptures say by one verse or one scripture reference? No. The answer is no. In fact, the answer is emphatically no. We can't. Because we have to read the whole of Scripture and we have to interpret it based on the whole of Scripture. And we're going to see that, hopefully we'll get there tonight, in a fairly dramatic way. So, what are we going to do when we get to heaven? Any thoughts? Ernie, what are you going to do? I'll be running a street sweeper. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I got that job. (laughs) Okay. What are we going to do there? Olivia? We're not going to be playing hard to sing. Okay, that's what we're not going to do. Okay. We're going to be worshiping God. Okay, we're going to be worshiping God. That's one thing that we're going to do. What else? 
there's a, oh, I think it's a spiritual. When I get to heaven, I'm going to sit down beside my Jesus and look all around. <laughs> Hold on to that thought. What else are we going to do? I mean, come on, we're going there. Come on, guys. We're going to reign with them. We're, we're going to reign. We're going to be judging. We're going to be, who are we going to judge? People from the millennium. The people below. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Still on the earth. Okay, people let's transport ourselves to the new heaven and the new earth, and there it is. And so uh, heaven and earth have collided, and God is, is has come down, and he is with us, and there is the new Jerusalem, and we're all there. Okay, this is the future heaven. What are we going to do in the future heaven? Well, there's a big city to explore. There's a huge city to explore. Okay, so we'll be exploring. Okay. Playing What's our purpose there? Playing golf. <laughs> Possibly. Your heart's desire. Okay. Reigning and ruling, serving and joy. We're going to be in what kind of a relationship with God? We're going to look at that next week, by the way. Well, one that we've never really been in before because it's nothing that's going to... It's nothing that we've really experienced here on earth. It's going to be totally different. Radically. Radically so. But we have a foreshadow of what that's going to be like. But what's going to be our purpose? And what's going to be our our purpose in heaven? We're going to be there a really, really long time. <laughs> and so, and so, what's going to be our purpose there? We're trying to find every square inch of that cubic land there. <laughs> trying to find every square inch of it. Worshiping and praising God. Well, will that be our purpose going around the no, but that's what we're going to be doing. We will be doing that. We're going to take a look at that in the next two weeks, too. What are we going to eat there? What's that look like? Why did God create Adam and Eve? What was their purpose? Fellowship. Fellowship to procreate. Okay. What else? They were to mine the garden. Okay, it's not in the list, but we got to go there. <laughs> oh, we're to mine the garden. Okay, we don't have to go there. So, God said, here's the land. Work it. He told them to work it. And then he told them something really important. Because, you see, work was created by God. It's a good thing. We're the ones that have turned that around backwards and don't want to go on Mondays. Because we like our weekends. But in heaven, work is, is we're still going to have work, and, and we're never going to want to quit. We're going to want to work 24-7, 365, if there is such a thing, because we're going to, it'll be pure joy we're going to see in that. So, what else did he tell them they were going to do besides work, work the land? Remember? Genesis chapter 2. And, that's right. Those, all of those tasks are working the land. God told them, and rule over it. He gave it to them to rule over. Don't lose sight of that for a minute because that's what we're talking about in Genesis chapter 2. After God created everything and he saw that Adam and, and Eve needed to be companions. So he created Eve and he put them in the garden before the fall and said, Ah, oh, it's all good. Okay, so now work the land and rule over it. What is the land? At that point, it was Eden. 
Okay. Where was Eden? The earth. The earth. Thank you. Long drawn out way to get there, but I want you to remember this. Adam and Eve were on the earth and God said, oh, work it and rule over it. How much of it? (laughs) All of it. He gave it to them to rule over. What is our purpose in heaven going to be? Turn to 2 Timothy 2.12. Just the first half. 2.12a, as they say. If we endure, we will also reign with him. What does that mean? Pardon me? Rule over it. Okay. Um, And if we endure, we will also reign with him. Who's him? Jesus. Okay. Revelation 2.26. There isn't? Did I misreference that? Uh, how about Revelation 3? Hang on. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear the Spirit says to the church. Thank you. I got Revelation 2.26 out of, out of sequence. That's a little later on tonight. So, to the one who is victorious, I will give what? The right to sit with me on my throne. Now, wait a minute. Who's speaking here? Jesus. Jesus is speaking. And he says, to the one who is victorious, what is victorious? Mike, what does it mean to be victorious? Jesus says, hey, Mike, you're victorious. What's he referring to here? To the one who is victorious. But you can put your name there instead of one. Just say, to Mike who is victorious. Victorious over what? Sin. Sin. We're in heaven, remember? Okay? There is no sin there. We are victorious. Christ has won. The enemy has been defeated. And he says, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Now I want every one of you to put your name where it says one. Okay? Does that blow you away? <laughs> because there may be 50 billion of us. Each one of us will think we're it. Huh. Will we? You see, that's, and that's very much our worldly mindset, isn't it? Because who can grasp that everybody in this room and 50 billion, if that's how many are there, of our, of our brothers and sisters are being given the right to sit on the throne with Jesus And then he goes farther because he explains it this way. Just as I was victorious, he beat death. Okay, And so have we. And sat with my father on his throne. Get the picture? He's starting to get the picture of of what our purpose is in heaven. Co-ruling. And co-heirs. Ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ in the heavenlies. What in the world does that mean? 
in real practical terms. Because you know, heaven is a real practical place. It's not some, ooh, ooh, it's not that. We're going there. And we're going to have bodies that look quite, well, they'll look a lot better than anyone sitting in this room's body does right now. I guarantee you that. Don't know what it's going to look like, but it's going to look a lot better. And we're going to reign and we're going to rule over this new earth. The heaven and the earth, remember, have collided. They are one now. And we are going to reign and we are going to rule with Christ. He is going to give us the right to sit on the throne with him. That means we are going to reign and rule over over what? The earth. Oh. Because what is Jesus going to reign over? Everything that is created. And when we're in heaven and the new heaven and the new earth come together, what is going to be included in that? Everything. Everything. By ruling and reigning. This is important. It's important because we need to know what our purpose is. Do you ever think about people that don't have a purpose? And they don't have a hope, do they? People that don't have some purpose in life are usually people that you can point to that have no hope. And when people have no hope, they are, they are hopelessly in the dark, aren't they? And they are lost. And those are exactly the people that Jesus said, I came to seek and save. And those that received him are going to be given the authority and the right to sit on the throne with him. Every believer is going to be heaven in heaven and going to rule and reign. Well, that makes a lot of rulers and reigners, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> hmm? it doesn't it sound that way? It sounds like a lot of chiefs. I'm glad you brought that up. It sounds like a lot of chiefs with no Indians. Those are the guys that are not getting their rewards. Hmm. Okay. All right. Is there government in heaven? <laughs> Probably. God is very legal. Everything is very legal. Probably because God is very legal. He is. He's divided order, and if somebody's reigning, there has to be subservience. It's implied, if nothing else. It is absolutely implied that there is a system of government in heaven because there are going to be rulers and you have to if to be a ruler of something there has to be something to rule okay there has to be something to rule and so how is god going to then make the decision susan of what you're going to re- rule versus brenda what you're going to rule because you're both going to be ruling in heaven I imagine it's whatever based on what's left after getting burned up. Huh. That's really interesting because if you go back to 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, and it says that if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring to it light and it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So it's going to be tested and then there are going to be rewards. And are you starting to get the picture now? We are going to be ruling and reigning with Christ in heaven. Each of us is going to have a job and that's not a bad thing. And we are going to have different jobs within the governmental structure, if you will, the, the, what God has put together to rule and reign over, put it this way to make it more in perspective for you, the universe. Because it includes the heavenlies. The cosmos. The cosmos. That's a good word, too. Well, 
You see, because we were looking last week at the size of the New Jerusalem. That's a city. That's minuscule in comparison to what we are going to rule and reign over. And so, if that bothers you, Wes, does it bother you that you're going to have that kind of a leadership position in heaven? No. Okay. Does it bother, bo- bother? Does it bother anyone that you are going to rule and reign with Christ? Meaning that you are going to have some significant responsibility taking charge of stuff. <laughs> That's a paraphrase. You won't get bored. Hmm? No, I won't get bored. The question is, does that bother you, Cindy? No. Okay. Turn to Luke sixteen ten. Then we're going to look at Luke fourteen eleven. See, because what if you're not the leadership type? Doesn't make any difference. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't make any difference. difference. How? Well, it doesn't make any difference what you aren't here. What you're there, you're going to be complete. Oh, that's interesting. So we looked at earlier in one of our studies, we looked at the fact that we don't lose our identity when we go to heaven, right? No, we don't lose our identity, God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We don't lose our identity. In one sense, we're going to recognize each other. We're going to have very similar DNA. It's just going to be perfected. Okay? And so Luke 10, so if you're not the leadership type, you will be. Because you're not going, your main purpose in heaven is going to be to rule and reign with Christ. Now there's a lot of other things that are going to be going on. But the, one of our primary purposes there is to rule and reign. Worship will be, will be key. But ruling and reigning, the Bible talks a lot about. Luke, 10, or Luke 16, 10 says, <coughs> One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. And Luke 14, 11 says, for all the one who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then the key to, to this teaching in terms of ruling and reigning and who is going to be put in charge of what is Matthew twenty five twenty three, which we're all very familiar with, which says, Matthew replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, there's something that's real critical because one of the things that we, we hear a lot, isn't it, that the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. And we always stop that, don't we? We always stop that. But, but he's not done yet. We have to look at the context. What is he saying? Not only good and faithful servant, not only, did you, not only was it well done, not only did you only have a little bit of stuff that was hay and, and straw that, that burned up, but most of it was was precious and, 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 and gold and it was refined by that fire and that you're going to have crowns in heaven and you're going to be rewarded. But then he says, you have been faithful with what? A few things. And then he says, what? And then the most important thing is, that's the reward. Cindy, you're going to be put in charge of many things. Brenda, many things. Susan, many things. Mike, many things. That means many things you're going to be put in charge of. <laughs> and it says, Come, come. and share your master's 
happiness. We talk about joy all the time in, in Scripture, don't we? Because happiness is fleeting. Do you realize that when we get to heaven, joy and happiness are going to collide? Woo! Joy and happiness are going to be very similar, unlike here. Because here it's tainted with sin, isn't it? Oh, I'm really happy today. And then something happens and I am bummed out. It has nothing to do with my joy. My happiness can come and go. Not there. He says, come and share in your master's happiness. See, now that's the most significant part of this whole scripture that talks about well done, good and faithful servant. Hey, we're all guilty, aren't we? We like to stop there because, uh, you know, we all, we all like to serve. We all like to, we all like to do good deeds. And, 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 you know, faith without deeds is death. You know, we, we hear all that stuff. And we do those things, and out of the right motivation, then there's these rewards, and then after these rewards are given, because because we all want to hear those words, don't we? Ah, well done, good and faithful servant. But what we we neglect then is we neglect in heaven. It says, hey, you know what? You've been faithful. Just these little things. I don't care. You could be the pastor, or you could be the greeter. In God's eyes, it's the same. It's the role, and what are you doing within the role? What are you doing with what He gave you to do? If he gave you the role to be the pastor, be the best pastor that you can be. If you're going to be the role of the street sweeper, like Martin Luther King Jr. said, if your role is to be the street sweeper, be the best darn street sweeper you can be. Whatever role you've been given. And then he says, oh, come and share your master's happiness once the reward has been given to you by being a good and faithful servant. We have so many misconceptions about heaven and what God has planned for us there. We are going to be there and we are going to be ruling and we are going to be reigning. We are not going, it's not going to be a permanent vacation. But that's what we think. Don't we? We work till retirement. Oh, praise God. I'm done with those people. School district, goodbye, right? Amen. Amen. (laughs) Yeah, and we think that way because of what? Sin. It's that simple. It's just that simple. We won't be we won't be burdened by that anymore. So we're all concerned about our eternal life, but we tend to want to compare it to what we know now. You can't do it, okay? And that's one of the big points about the entire heaven study. You can't do it, okay? All we can do is get these little glimpses into heaven, and we are going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ, the Creator of all things, sitting on the throne with Him. That's mind-boggling for a human. You keep talking about reigning, mm-hmm. but if everybody's reigning, what are you reigning over again? Let's look at that, shall we? Okay. Let's look at that. So, um, let's look at uh, Luke twenty-two twenty-nine. So that's the next one on our list. And this is Jesus speaking here, Luke twenty-two twenty-nine. Now, I want you to put, transport yourself to this place where you're thinking about the new heavens and the new earth. And John saw this new Jerusalem, this huge city. It's gigantic. We can't wrap our mind around how big this city is. And it's a city. Okay? And we're there. We're in heaven. And we are reigning and we are ruling with Christ. And in Luke 22, 29 and 30 says, And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom. 
that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Earlier we looked at one of the things that we're going to be doing while we're ruling and we're reigning and we're ruling and we're reigning over the twelve tribes of Israel and we're also doing some, some judging according to Revolution. And who are we judging? And who else? And who else? And who else? Angels. Bible says. Hmm. I don't know what that's like. I never met an angel that I know of. Or maybe I have. He says, I will assign, my Bible says, and I will confer on you a kingdom. Wes, do kingdoms need rulers? Yes. What's the Old Testament picture of a kingdom? Who was the head of a kingdom? A king. king. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Ruling, reigning, New Jerusalem, a really big city, in in what more than likely is a really big redeemed earth, in a really big cosmos, all made new, redeemed from the curse, and... Jesus is going to confer or assign on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me, he says. Hmm. But that's everybody there. Huh. Interesting. All chiefs. All chiefs. Let's keep going. Clearly, any question in your mind that you'll be reigning and ruling with Christ in heaven? Be eating and drinking with them. We'll be eating and drinking in with them, and we're going to be wearing white robes, some of us, and some of us are going to be carrying palm branches. Don't forget the crowns. <laughs> that was the old heaven, remember? This is the new heaven. Okay? We will have crowns in heaven. Those are our rewards. He is going to appoint to you, Olivia, a role in heaven within the hierarchy, because God is a God of orders. And it is going to be based on your personal faithfulness now. You realize that? No, why is it scary? No, I got that job. Maybe instead of being Queen Olivia, you just be Princess Olivia. It makes you feel inadequate, you know, because you feel like you should be doing more. Of course. That's a that's called guilt. Which which is not good. You don't want to feel guilty, right? No, we don't want to feel guilty about anything. What we want to do is, what, what's the purpose of your life right now? The purpose of our life in heaven is going to be to rule and to reign with Christ. There will be other things, but that's one of the primary things, and that's what we're looking at tonight in terms of what, what heaven is going to be like, this ruling and reigning that is going on with him. He's going to confer a kingdom on, on us, and he is going to assign us tasks within the hierarchy of heaven where there's going to be lots of people and it's going to be a really big place and people are going to have all kinds of roles to be done there. And by the way, what kind of roles are there in the city? There's a city council. Okay. There's a king and a city council. And there's mayors. Probably groundspeople. There's groundspeople. Ruling over the creation. Okay. 
Very similar to what we see when we look outside the, the door. See, because you're thinking about ruling and reigning of being in charge. And the Bible talks about being in charge of something. And that something that you're going to be in charge of is going to be based on the faithfulness with which you conducted yourself while you were here. God is only going to ask us one question when we get there. Hey, what'd you do with what I gave you? He already knows the answer, but he's going to make you tell him, isn't he? And it's going to be completely revealed to you because you're going to see it as though it was burned up by the fire and you're going to go, good ahead of V8. That's what he wants you to think about now. Are we having a V8 moment? You don't have much time left. It's, you know what? They said it was going to go fast when I got old and they were right. And guess what? I'm not going to be here that much longer. So what am I doing with what he gave me? That's what he wants to know. And then he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And here are your rewards. Here are the crowns. And this is what I'm going to be putting you in charge of. I don't know. Maybe one of the rooms in the, in the mansion I'm going to be in charge of cleaning. It's four square miles per person. Maybe that's my job. I, I don't know what it's going to be. What I care about is glorifying him now. I want to honor him now. How much more so then? That's what's interesting. Turn to Revelation 7, 14. See, working and ruling and having responsibility assigned to us in heaven is nothing like what you experience here. It's, you can't compare it. We just can't. It's like there won't be any more tears. I'll never have a bad emotional experience of my whole life when I get there. But I don't know what that's like because every problem that I have mostly are caused by relational problems. I hurt somebody or they hurt me. Those are the most deep-seated things that we deal with as humans, aren't they? Huh, that's a picture of God. Revelation 7, 14 and 15. Somebody can read that. That's always the clue. Sir, you, I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, that's, that's the end of it. No, that's great. Read 15 too, please. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. The interesting thing about this passage is, is that we're talking about those martyrs again. And so what are the martyrs doing in heaven? What is their reward? Serving God. Serving God. Day and night before his throne. You see, that's a huge reward. We think of serving as of being a servant as a job. In heaven, it's a reward. To be able to serve is a reward. Remember how everything in the Bible is upside down? The world thinks of it one way, and God thinks of it in an entirely different way. And when Jesus came, how could he have come? He could have come with hailstones and brim fire and, or whatever those terms are. He could have come as a mercenary, he could have wiped everybody out and said, follow me. But he didn't. He came humble and meek and loving to seek and save the lost, those were, that were in darkness, and that he's still doing that. And when we get to heaven, 
Heavenly reward is not going to be being put in charge of something so that we can push out our chest and say, mm hmm. So King Ernie over here is not going to be looking at me saying, sweep the street better, Bill. That's not what it's going to be. Because I'm already going to be in heaven and I am going to want, my desire is going to want to be the best street sweeper that there ever was. Well done. <laughs> okay. Every day. Well done. And so what he's saying to the tribulation saints is that they have a place before his throne and it is a reward. Don't turn there, but Ephesians 6, 7, and 8 says, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever they do, whether it be slave or free. And so we have this whole picture on earth as it is going to be a foreshadow in heaven. We are going to reign and we are going to serve and we are going to rule over God's creation. And so it is going to then result in what the Bible says as pure joy. Have you ever experienced pure joy in your life? Honestly. Probably not the way Probably not as we would consider uh, what pure joy is in heaven. Okay? That's a great answer because I think you're probably right. I don't think that we have the capacity to have been in a position to have the result be pure, biblical, heavenly joy. That's reserved for us, however, in heaven. That is a picture of heaven. So why is it important to understand that there is going to be pure joy reigning, ruling, and serving in heaven? Why is that important? Are there degrees then of joy in heaven? Susan, when you get there, are you going to have the same joy as I have? I don't think so. Okay, she doesn't think so. Anybody else? Okay, there's a I think so and a I don't think so. And so on what basis? Because we have to determine, hmm, if it is pure joy, according to Scripture, to serve and to reign and to rule, and we're going to be giving the, given these tasks all on the level of hierarchy, remember, don't think of it on a worldly basis, because on a worldly basis, you're thinking from a hierarchy point of view, those that are at the top, woohoo, they got it made, because that's the way the world is, right? Every government is corrupt, and virtually every leader is corrupt. There was only one that wasn't. Only one leader ever wasn't corrupt. And he's the one that died for us. And so what we're stuck with is we're stuck with this understanding of what worldly reigning and ruling and serving looks like. Because we want something out of it. We're not going to be comparing joys, though. I won't compare my joy to your joy. That's correct. Because your joy... You will be given the amount of joy that, that the Lord apportions to you, and I will be given the amount of joy that is apportioned to me because he will give us the tasks to do in heaven that are directly from him, attributable to him, and assigned by him. Well, and so is God, so we're not going to be I've got more joy than you. Exactly right. Well, and when he, when he had the workers, and some workers were hired at 9, and some were hired at 4.30, they all got the same. Mm-hmm. They all got the same, and yet in a worldly sense, there was a lot of grumbling going on because of sin. But if that were if that were to be the if that were to this is my picture of heaven. If that took place in heaven, which it wouldn't, but if it did, those people that worked all day long, 
would be feeling sorry for the ones that only got to work for an hour. Woohoo! We were serving the Lord all day. You guys only got here at six o'clock at night. Huh? No, we don't look at it that way. We 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 we, we can't help it but look at it the other way. Have you ever have you ever been jealous? Of course you have. Isn't it amazing how somebody has something wonderful happen to them and one of our emotions is he's such a jerk. <laughs> we respond that way, don't we? Not in heaven. Ruling and reigning with Christ. Are we going to return then to the Garden of Eden? The new heaven and the new earth. It's going to be burned up. The old, the old earth is gone. And, and, and so we have this picture, picture in, in Genesis 1-9, uh, or actually chapter 2 of the, of, of the creation. We see in chapters 1 and 2, we see the whole creation, and, it, and God says it's good. And so are we, are we returning there? Well, it sounds like in Revelation when it explains what's going to be going on in the city. Hmm. That's really interesting, because I don't think so. Because think about it logically. If... John saw the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem coming down. What is the new Jerusalem? This humongous city. What Was there anything like that in Eden? No. Was there any technology there? Is there here? There is here, but we don't know if there is any in heaven. Huh? There's no need for technology. Are you sure? I think so. You can't take your cell phone with you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the picture. If heaven is going to be like Garden of Eden, does that mean that we're starting over again? No. So how much of what God's creation looks like now the stuff that doesn't get burned up. We read the scripture that said the stuff that doesn't get burned up is going is to go forward. And the stuff that does get burned up is, is going to be gone. How much of the stuff is going forward? Are you going forward? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask that again. Diana, are you going forward? Yes, I am. That's the answer. Yes, I am. Everything that was good in the Garden of Eden is going to be there as it was initially planned. Oh. I don't know. It's an interesting picture, isn't it? Because I see these two naked people walking around, but they weren't ashamed. Trust me, in my wildest no, imagination, I don't want to be walking around There's naked in heaven. Pardon me? We've got white robes in heaven. Okay, well, some people do. Some people do. But the question is, how much of continuity is there going to be? There's this new heaven and this new earth, and we're going to be there. You're going to have continuity. Because the Bible says, instantly, when I see you, Diana, in heaven, you're not going to look like you look right now, but I'm going to recognize you instantly. I'm going to know you for who you are. That means there is continuity that is coming to heaven. There is continuity. I'm going to recognize Brenda, and I'm going to like her. (laughs) We're going to have a relationship in heaven because of who we are. That means there's continuity, and it follows. Is there continuity, then, in heaven where we're going, the new heaven and the new earth? This could be plants. Okay. There's plants. Plants, trees, water. Trees, water. 
That's Animal. continuity. Animals. The lion lays down with the lamb. I'm seeing a lot of continuity there. I don't know. We think about continuity in terms of, you know, I'm an airplane guy. I don't have a clue whether there's airplanes there. I just want there to be. Probably won't need one. But there is continuity. We are not going back to the Garden of Eden. Only by virtue of its perfection are we going back to the concept of the Garden of Eden. Because what did the Garden of Eden represent in God's creation? Perfection. And what is the new heaven and the new earth going to represent when God presents it to us? Perfection. The same thing. So it is going to represent the same thing, but it is not going to be the same place. It can't be, because there is going to be continuity that comes forward from who we are and God's creation. And there is going to be a whole period of time where we are going to continue to evolve. I don't mean that in the negative sense. I mean that because we're going to continue to learn and grow and explore and know God more. And we're going to want to do that. And we're going to do that in a perfect environment. And there's going to be harmony. For example, there's... there's, um, uh, by the way, Scotty, there's going to be plenty of musical instruments in heaven. We know that because the Bible says so, right? Okay. We're going to be making music in heaven. Maybe in ways we don't even know about. Probably in ways we don't know about. But we know that there are going to be musical instruments there. And there are going to be people there that are playing them. Mike, you might even be able to sing. Even though right now you think you can't. I don't know. Maybe God is going to say, huh, he's got a sense of humor, you know. He says, watch this, dude. I'm going to make him a really good singer. I don't know. But the point is, is that there is going to be this continuity. There is, There are going to be things that are happening instantaneously. You know, when we get there, there's going to be this huge city. In fact, there's going to be even more than one city. We're going to see that in a second. And there's going to be people ruling and reigning and working and serving. And all of this is going to happen instantaneously. Because when we get there, it's going to be, I don't know, maybe 50 billion, maybe 100 billion, maybe 25, however many people are going to be there, they're going to be there. And this is God's plan, whether we like it or not. Interesting. We talk about time in the present heaven. Is there time in the new heaven and the new earth? No? Okay, we talk about the Bible being the past is Genesis 1 and 2. The present is Genesis 3 through Revelation 21. 20. And the future is Revelation 21 and 22. In my Bible, Revelation 22 talks about trees yielding their fruit once a month. But there's no but sun. Yeah, so yeah. we can relate to it. Is it? Well, there's no sun and moon. So if there's no sun or no moon... How do you pass? There's no sun and moon in heaven? No, there's not. Bible says there is not. Oh, great. Turn to turn to Revelation 21, 23. <coughs> the city does not need the sun and the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and the land is its lamp. Excellent. Read Revelation. We're going to read that again. Keep your finger right there. Somebody read Revelation 22, 5. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp nor the light of the sun. The Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is really, really interesting because um, because I have a confession to make, <laughs> but not yet, not yet. 
It says they will reign forever and ever. It doesn't talk about time right there. Okay, but we're not talking about time now. We're talking about... We're talking about the things. And we have to go back because she opened the door. And this is just like Thursday night at worship team. Whenever she says something, we do it. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> Revelation 21.3 The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. What's the context? I guess you could, you could say it doesn't need it. It might still be there, but it says it doesn't need it. But doesn't the sun and the moon pass away when the earth passes away? Mm-hmm. Does the heavens, Can you find that? Does the heavens and the earth pass away when they get And all things are made new. Yeah. Now this is really interesting because now all of a sudden, let's just deal with the sun and the moon for just a second here. And in Revelation 21, 23, that's probably the scripture that you're referring to more than likely that says, hey, the city doesn't need the sun or the, or the moon because... Because who lives in the New Jerusalem? This is that huge cubicle city that we're talking about. And, and who lives there? God lives there and that his light is radiant. Remember when Moses talked to God? They couldn't even look at him. His face came back radiant because he was in the presence of God. That's a picture. And so in the New Jerusalem, we have this picture that there's no... It doesn't say that the sun and the moon go away. My Bible says that the city does not need the sun. Also, also, who created the sun and the moon? God. And where does it say in the Bible that the sun and the moon are destroyed? Does it say the sun and the moon are burned up? Well, it says the earth and the heavens. Does it say the sun and the moon are burned up? See, we have this concept, don't we, that, hey, there's not going to be a sun or a moon. I got a better one for you. Revelation 21, 1, last week, this man sitting right in front of me got on his iPad there, his iPad mini, and he read 21.1, and I remember him reading it like three or four times. And it says, and the sea was no more. But the Bible says, but the Bible says that in heaven there's this huge river that runs down the middle of the main street in the New Jerusalem, which is a city. Symbolic? No, it's fair. Literal? Literal. It's literal. Then it talks about trees. And there's rivers and there's trees. And then the rivers go someplace. But his Bible, the one that he reads out of in Revelation 21, 1 says that there's no more sea. New heavens and a new earth and there's no more sea. Hmm. Now we're faced with having to deal with the... Yeah, yours, my Bible says the same thing. And yet, if you go to Genesis 1, 9 and 10, it says, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And so, and it was so. So God called the dry ground land and he gathered the water and he called them seas. And God said that it was good. So when God created the seas, he said it was good. And yet in Revelation 20. One, one, it says, and the sea was no more. Why would God get rid of something that he called good and then very good? That's number one. And then number two, when he says that there is no more sea, is there a contradiction then in your Bible and mine? Because God's word also says that there is a river 
the reverse dip is in the sea. Okay. What is the sea? Could be well, fresh water versus salt. The, the sea has salt. And they also say that the abyss lies in the ocean, and the abyss is not going to be a good thing. Hmm. So he would remove that. Okay, so verse Revelation 21 settles the issue for you. There's no more sea. Right? Yeah, the Bible says the there's no sea. It depends on what the sea they were talking about. Okay, don't confuse me. So the sea gave up their dead. Uh-huh. Which sea was that? It was a figurative, because in the old days they used to use that figuratively as like the abyss. Oh. The abyss. Very good. You've been studying. So, so the sea is. It didn't mean necessarily that it gave up the oceans. Didn't necessarily mean that it gave up the oceans. Gave up the abyss. Okay. Um, but Revelation twenty-one one says, and there was no more sea. And so we know that the sea is a large body of salt water that covers about eighty percent of the earth, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that what it is? About eighty percent of the earth. Mm-hmm. So the earth is a lot of ocean yeah. right now. And Revelation twenty-one one says that. Uh, and there was no more sea in the new heavens and the new earth. And we got this huge river that runs down the middle of the street in, in uh, the, the, the main drag, as we'll call it, uh, in the new Jerusalem. And it's pretty big. Uh, it's a big river. And um, uh, I'm just wondering where rivers go. Um, where do rivers go now? To the, to the ocean. Yeah, they pretty much all go there. But they tend okay. to be fresh water, not salt. Oh. Because it's rainwater. It's been distilled. Okay. Has the ocean always been salt water? Maybe in the beginning of water. Who knows? Does it say what was salt water in the Bible? I don't Ernie, when you were on the ark. <laughs> I'm just wondering. Yeah, but that was a lot of water that was came a, up. It was rainwater. The, water. the water, it says that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. The Bible says the water came up from below. Okay, so that's a lot of water. We know it's a lot of water because we see it. Okay. And so that we have a lot of water out there, and we know that it's salty, and we know that God created it, and we know that he called it good, and then we know that Adam and Eve were in the garden, and then they blew it there. And then there was a curse, okay? And there was a curse on the land, okay? And it's been there ever since, and that's why when we think about work in heaven, we can't think about it like it is today, because God said, you're going to work the land, and off the sweat of your brow you're going to eat, as opposed to, hey, I'm just going to provide it for you out of my grace to you. And we're going to see this next week when we, when we look at food. You know, we're going to eat food in heaven. And it's not because we need to. It's going to be because we want to. Grab hold of that one, if you would. Okay. And yet, so he calls the seas good. And then in Revelation 22 and Isaiah 60, he, we read this. I want you to try to make sense out of this. We read that not only do the rivers go someplace, but in referring to heaven in Isaiah 60, verse 5, he says that the wealth of the seas will be brought to the new Jerusalem. <laughs> Pearls come from the sea. Wait a minute. He told me last week that in verse twenty-one or chapter twenty-one, verse one, there's no more sea. You said the same thing. Well, but Isaiah sixty, verse five says, referring specifically to heaven, because. That's what's beautiful about Isaiah 60, if you want to read it again this week before you go to bed tonight. And especially the, the last two or three verses of, of, of 
of chapter 60. It's really awesome. It's a picture that the prophet Isaiah is giving us of the new heaven and the new earth. And he says right there that he says that the wealth of the seas will be brought to the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem, where is that? But what you just said, uh-huh. it's new, it's different. Maybe they're there, it's not as we know now. Maybe not, because he also says in verse 9 of Isaiah 60 that he indicates that there's ships and that there's islands. There might be all fresh water. So then is there just no... Okay, so do we reinterpret then scripture to mean that in verse 20, chapter 21, verse 1, that there's no more salt water on the earth? Interesting, because, you know, it was just a few short weeks ago that I took a very dogmatic position on the fact that there's no sun and there's no moon until I started to study all of Scripture. And then when I looked at all of Scripture, let me tell you what I concluded this week. That I was wrong, because that's not what the Scriptures say. It doesn't say that there's no that there's no sun and that there's no moon. It says that in the new Jerusalem, there is no need for the sun and there is no need for the moon. But the Bible says that the earth is way bigger than the new Jerusalem. And not only that, we have the cosmos that are recreated and within the context of the cosmos. And, you know, you like this kind of stuff because you're kind of a. Star Trekky kind of a guy. And what we know is, is that the cosmos is really big. And, and we know that you can see the sun from a really long ways away. And there may even be multiple suns. But we know that in the new Jerusalem, on the new heaven and the new earth, there's no need for the sun and the moon. I can't find anywhere in scripture, nor can I find reasonable commentators that are going to suggest to me that God eliminates and destroys and gets rid of one of his finest creations, which is the sun and the moon. It's just not Isn't that as interesting? We know it now. May not be as we know it there now, but what does Scripture say? That's the point of the exercise. The point of the exercise is, boy, really be careful about how dogmatic you get, because I'm telling you, I've been dogmatic for years about the fact that, hey, guess what? We get to heaven, and woohoo, God is there, and he is he omnipresent in heaven. Of course he is. All right. And do we know about his Shekinah glory? And do we know that do we know what he what the experience was with Moses and Moses shone like the sun, didn't he? When he had an, ex, an encounter and uh, with with the living God while he was on this earth. Yeah. And we're going to heaven and there's going to be this new Jerusalem that is big enough to hold 50 billion people. And we each have like four square miles to ourselves. But that's just a city. That's one city, because if you take a look at Revelation 22 and Isaiah 60, it talks about multiple cities. It says that people come to and fro the new Jerusalem. And that's why the gates are always open Three on each side. There's 12 gates and they're all made out of pearl. And people come and they go and there's activity and there's people coming and going all over the place. And there's boats and there's water and there's if there's no sea, there's at least some big bodies of water. I don't know. See, one of the things that is going to be really interesting, because frankly, nobody knows. If, I don't know if we're going to scuba dive, but I know that there are people here that really love to scuba dive. And maybe we'll be scuba diving in fresh water and not salt water. Maybe that's what he meant. But I know that it means that there is no more sea as we understand the sea today. But I, I get a picture in scripture that there is not going to be any need for the sun and the moon because there's not going to be really any day or night in the new Jerusalem, which is just one city. We are not bound 
for eternity in a cube that is 1,500 mile cubed. And when we look next week at what we're going to be doing in heaven in terms of the coming and the going, you see the new Jerusalem is the hub of worship. For some reason, God has decided to create for us this place that he describes in such beautiful terms that we still don't know what it looks like, but he uses gold and he uses precious stones and he talks about the foundations and he talks about the openness and he talks about the freedom and the reigning that is going to go on there, not, not the reigning, our AI and for the crops, but the reigning, we are going to be reigning with him and we are going to be serving and we are going to be working and we are going to count it pure joy and all of these things are completely flipped upside down to the way we think about that today. Because we are tainted with sin. And it doesn't say anywhere that there is no longer a sun and a moon in God's creation. Because God redeems the earth because he redeems you and he redeems me. He doesn't throw us away. Nowhere in scripture have I been able to find yet where God trashes anything that in the past, Genesis 1 and 2, he created. He redeems it. Does he refine it by fire? You better believe it. Nowhere can I find, and I would challenge you, if you, if you have, like me, been thinking, and I've even told people a biblical untruth. Oh, yeah. There's no sun. There's no moon. In heaven, we don't, we don't need it. Well, that was a half-truth. We don't need it in the New Jerusalem, but that's the extent of what the Bible says. Isn't that fascinating? I sucked onto that so hard, just thinking that, of course there's no sun in there. God's there. We don't need the sun in the moon. But that's not what the Bible says. That's what I picked up. But it says there's no night. Hmm. It does say that, that there will be no night. Huh. Interesting. And it says that there's no sea. But it doesn't say that there aren't any big bodies of water, because it says that there's lots of rivers, and either they go back into the earth, or they accumulate someplace. The whole point of that exercise, guys, is really quite simple. And that is that I think that we need to take more than reading the scriptures. We need to take into account studying the scriptures, which is what that's why we're here. That's what we're doing together. We're studying the scriptures because I'll tell you what, today was the first time in a really long time. Um, you know, I, God revealed to me this week through this study talking about the new Jerusalem. And I'm, I'm here. You talk about a humbling experience. I'm here. I'm sitting here um, accepting the responsibility to rightly, um, to rightly divide and teach um, God's word. And dogmatically, I have been parading around telling people something that the Bible doesn't say. And then you're faced with the reality of, hmm, Bible teacher, I know you love scripture, I know you're in the word a lot, I know that that's a passion of yours, and I, and I get that. But don't blow it. Because you will be judged for rightly dividing my word. And when you read that you spend a lot of time in Revelation talking about the end times in heaven, and they get all the way to the end with that warning. 
hey, don't add anything to this or take anything away. That means don't add anything to it and don't take anything away. So we can debate the sea. But what does it say? What does God's word say? Oh, what a lesson this week in being very, very careful. Prayerfully considering the teaching of God's word. Meditating on God's word. Speaking to people. I love, because Brenda, you know, I, I, love, I love Brenda's boldness. You know, she loves to tell people about Jesus because it's just the truth. And she'll tell anybody at any time. And yet we have to be, boy, we have to be right though, don't we? We have to be right about it. And for those that are teaching that are not right about it, woe to them. And so be careful about your woe moments. (laughs) Because when you have a woe moment about being dogmatic and you've dug your heels into the sand, you say, this is the way it is. Until God whacks you up in the head or gently nudges you and says, Let me show you what I said. So prayerfully consider, biblically meditate on, ask for the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the truth, and mostly open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. Because without that, without that, woe to us. Amen? Next week, we're going to take a look at what really everybody's been kind of waiting for and and talking about heaven, and that is, what are our relationships going to be like with God and with each other? How will we relate to one another with friends, with family, with who's there? Will we know or care or be concerned about those that aren't? Will we be surprised? And then we'll look at our eating habits there. Our sleeping habits. Wes, isn't, it, isn't heaven like one big retirement party? We can just sleep as late as we want. I don't think so. And then what about animals <laughs> and art? <laughs> he gets up early just so he can polish his car six times a week. Traveling in heaven. And then we're, we're going to end up with, guys, uh, somebody convinced me that we should do this. Because I think, and I've discovered, and I think I now it's been revealed to me that no study of heaven is complete until we top it off with a, at least a quick study of hell. That most unpopular topic in churches today, <laughs> talking about, about hell. Because it really does exist. And it is the antithesis of, of heaven. And all the beauty... And all of the love, and all of the perfection, and all of the misunderstanding, and all of the miscomprehension. We cannot comprehend what heaven is going to be like. We will end up with a, a, a teaching on hell. So that we are better equipped, like Brenda is, to be able to tell people, oh, just love Jesus. Okay? Because heaven is your home. Amen?